So this is kind of uh, where we've been and, and kind of where we're going. Uh, the last couple of lessons that Dale did and, and the last lesson that I did was touch on developing self-control and now we're going to kind of move into habits that are helpful with us uh, having self-control in our lives, both helpful attitudes and, and harmful attitudes. Previously we've looked at a step-by-step -step process toward developing self-control, that's the progressive evaluation method. Um, we've looked at allowing Christ to have control in our lives. I think we all understand the importance of that. Um, we've looked at replacing bad behaviors with good behaviors. Um, sometimes it's not enough to just stop doing what you're doing. You need to really replace it with something good. We've looked at a societal approach to uh, addiction control, developing behaviors, the 12-step process. And um, while this isn't uh, a program in the Bible, um, a lot of it is taken from um, godly ideas, from biblical uh, references. Uh, something that uh, we see a lot in the world, and we have to understand what it's all about. I have some more information on that if you want it. Uh, and really all I have is uh, we have some more information about the 12 steps, how they apply to different passages. We reference just Psalms 51, but I have some other references too if you'd like to have those. Uh, we talked about... Uh, Starting out small and, and, and working big. In other words, it's like everything else in life. Don't try to do it all at once. Uh, try to start out small and uh, kind of build up. You know, the self-control you might get in over your head if you try to do uh, too much or take on too much all at once. Uh, we looked at God's protection. Of course, we looked about the armor of God, the value of that. Um, and I think we understand His armor and what it means for us and how we can apply it um, when we're faced with temptations and um, adversity in life. Would you say that, the, the, that you would use more than one of those steps? Yeah, you would. I mean, you're, like anything else, when you do problem solving in life, you're not going to just pick one process and try to just use that process. It's usually a combination. and. You know, so when we looked at material to, to talk about this and have a whole lesson, a series of lessons of self-control, uh, we wanted something comprehensive, and I know we're kind of going in baby steps, but that's, that's intentional, is to give a real detailed look at this. But if you have God control, wouldn't those other things just kind of fall in line? They should fall It would like be an A, B, C, D instead of being a separate I That's the way I look at it. You understand what I'm saying? I do understand what yeah. you're saying. You know, Dennis, I look at that kind of personal in the sense that there are people in the church that have God in their lives. They know who He is. They study about Him routinely. Yet they struggle with different ways of handling temptations or addictions or adversity. They might not have strong self-control because of personal weaknesses. They know who God is. Um, they yeah, have some of that armor on, but they don't have all that armor on. Having him control you. Pardon me? Just knowing God is not having God in your life. Right. And I agree having with that. God control you. I agree with that. Okay. It's more putting your trust in God. Yeah. You know, like we talked about. No, the armor. I, I understand it's, that. It's about having all the armor on. Yeah. 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 Um, so now what we're going to move into is attitudes. The attitudes of uh, that we should have. 
in, uh, in our lives to kind of have strong self-control or to be able to avoid temptations and things like that. Um, this morning we're going to look at two, self-sacrifice and self-denial. Um, and then the next lesson will be on self-discipline and then we're going to roll reformation and self-examination all together in uh, another lesson. So the first thing we want to look at is forfeiting your present comfort for self-control. A really good example of this is Ruth. And in chapter 2, verse 11, Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. What is it about Ruth that showed forfeiting comfort? What is it about her life? What did she do? She was always considering her mother-in-law and her husband, too, because even in his death, she was still committed to that family. Yeah, yeah. So remember, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they were... Uh, they traveled to Moab because of the famine. Um, there, the sons married. They married Oprah, and they married Ruth. And then all the men died. Naomi's husband died. The sons died. So Naomi decides to go back to Judah. And when she does that, she tells her daughter-in-laws, you can go with me or not. Oprah decides not to. Ruth goes along with her. Um, what motivated Ruth's decision at that point, we really don't know, but there's a really strong lesson in it for us that, um, one, she stayed with Naomi to support her. Um, when things got really bad, what did Ruth do? She went out and worked. She went out and worked. She got a job. She worked in the fields of Boaz, and Boaz saw her um, and eventually took her as his wife. But the point is that she gave up a lot of comforts for Naomi, um, whether it was love, whether she felt obligated. Um, maybe she didn't have strong ties in her homeland, but what Boaz noticed about her was this is a young woman that gave up a lot for somebody else. Um, and that's the way we should look at developing self-control. Sometimes it's giving up things that are comfortable for us. Another example is in uh, Hebrews 11. 24 through 27, this is about Moses. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to, to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. So, we know the story about Moses. Um, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt. Um, when he became of age and he realized, you know, what his uh, background was and what his heritage was, he gave that up. So what did he give up when he left Pharaoh's house? He gave up royalty, he gave up position, he gave up wealth. He sure, surely gave up comfort. And that's kind of the point of this. And, and Moses sacrificed all that. Um, did he sacrifice it for something that he could put his hands on at the time? No. No. He sacrificed it for something that was unseen. And that's part of how we should view our sacrifice to Jesus. Um, that we give up a lot sometimes in life 
for others or for maybe our family or for God. And um, by doing that, it's just another step in helping us develop self-control. Moses showed great faith in doing this, and his faith is, is an example for us to emulate in our lives as well. So moving on, we're going to look at sacrifices and giving up our possessions for others. And a good example of this is uh, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19.21. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So what's the story about the rich young ruler? He goes off and he pursues Jesus because he'd heard of him. Um, from the dialogue about the, the text, was the rich young ruler a bad guy? Not really, no. Because no. when Jesus said, when he w went through the things that he should do, this young man said, well, I already do those. So, so it showed that he had some amount of character in life. Um, but Jesus, knowing his heart, knew really what was important to him. And that's the challenge question that Jesus threw out there for him. Um, was it hard for the rich young ruler to give up his possessions? Yeah, it was. But why was it? He loved him more than anything. He loved him more than anything else. He had kind of a heart problem with regards to what he owned and what he had. Um, and sometimes I think that we can't get past Satan because we really don't want to give up parts of the world. Um, you know, we might know God, Dennis, look kind of like we were talking about. We might know God, but it's hard to give up certain things. It's hard to be all in for God. And Jesus wants us all in. He doesn't want just part of us. And that's kind of his challenge to uh, this young man. Isn't that kind of our challenge? Not kind of our. That's our challenge even today. There, there's far too many Christians who just are not all in. That there, think too many things come, whether it's you, know, you can fill in the blank really, but come ahead of whether it's vacations or family or uh, possessions or you know you, all of these things. It's just not comfortable to be all in for Jesus because that's going to require some things that make me uncomfortable. Yes. Um, and, and I think there's going to be, I suspect, a lot of surprised people on the Judgment Day because the Lord may look at me or at you or whoever else and say, yeah, you did all these things just like that rich young real, but you didn't do this. Yeah. Or, or either we're all in or we're not. You're right. You're right. And you know, we're looking at had a young man that was challenged to give up his possessions because those were important to him. But you know, Mitch, the things that you touched on, uh, the priorities that we set, they seem small to us. Do I go on vacation or do I make time to be at services? Um, do I, whatever, just fill in the blank. And too often we don't pick those things because we don't see them as important. Or maybe we see them as, well, we've got it all covered anyway, so you know, if I really forego doing something for the Lord, it's not that big of a deal. I think it's going to be a bigger deal than what we're bargaining on. Yeah, yeah. You said just a cup of cold water. Water exactly. doesn't cost much, but, you know, and that, I know it's a generic statement, but sometimes uh, little things we, um, we might consider little, Lord doesn't consider little. No, you're right. And 
what are we doing for others? Are we, or is it all about us? Sometimes it is. Sometimes, sometimes it is, and, I, and I, sometimes it is with me too. Me too. I have to go, wait, what did you do this week for others? Kind of a real life on that particular point, now that you bring it up. In conversations that I have with my boys, I have two sons, and um, when I sense that they're really down, they're really struggling, they're overwhelmed with life, whether it's work, whether it's hobbies, whether it's whatever it is, the first thing that I ask them, and they've already anticipated this now, what have you done for the Lord in the last week? What have you done for the Lord in the last month? Three months. Nothing? You've done one or maybe one small thing, but you've done all these other things? The point is, you've got to have the right priorities. And sometimes when we get overwhelmed with the world, it's because we don't have the priority of God in our life. So moving on, um, in Luke 18, 28-30, Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. Now this is Jesus teaching about the difficulty of wealth. So Jesus responds, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much as this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus teaching to the to the apostles here says, you know what, whatever you gave up, it pales in comparison as to what the reward is. It's kind of what we've been just talking about here. Um, devotion and service to Jesus is much more valuable than our physical comforts and possessions of life. And just to keep on track as to what this whole thought is, is remember, this is attitudes to develop self-control. And if you can look at being a little bit more, less focused on self and focus on Jesus, focused on someone else that you might know that needs help, um, you're going to have those attitudes that when you're faced with a decision or something that's tempting you, it should be easier for you to overcome that. That's kind of the point here. Sacrifice is leaving all and following Jesus. In Matthew 10, 37, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Sacrificing for Jesus might mean giving up our friends, our loved ones, maybe even our family. As important as our blood relationship is, we have a blood relationship with Jesus that's far superior to that. This verse to me has a lot of meaning because we went through this, Beth and I went through this when we dated and when she decided to be a member of the church, when she decided to be baptized. She was raised Lutheran and her decision to be baptized caused a lot of strain in her family. And at that point, the strain was strong enough that she had to make a decision, am I going to just go against what my mom and dad have taught me to believe, or am I going to go with what I believe the Bible teaches? That was, a, that was where she was at. It was a difficult decision. It was a decision that lasted for, uh, the, the ramifications of the decisions lasted for months. I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, I was baptized and everything's rosy. Um, there was a transition period that was really difficult for her, for me, um, and for her parents as well. 
Um, so this verse to me has a lot of uh, personal meaning. Some are willing to leave everything to follow Jesus Christ. And Philippians 3.8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The accomplishments of Paul were noteworthy. If you read verses 1 through 7 before this, you'll read through what Paul talks about himself. And who was the Apostle Paul before he started following Jesus? A Jew. He called himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? He was the man. Well versed. Yeah. He was, he was in charge. He was one of those guys. Labels himself as a Pharisee. In other words, he was <coughs> the ruling class. Um, in the Jewish world, in his culture, he had a prominent place. And what Paul talks about here is, I gave all that up to follow Jesus. Um, the greatest physical blessing is only valuable for a short time. And the blessing of Jesus is eternal. And we should look at things that we might have to give up in this world like that. Um, they really are fleeting. <coughs> Self-sacrifice is a metaphorical laying down of one's life. In other words, this is kind of a figurative example of giving our lives. Followers of Jesus are required to give themselves the service of others. In Matthew chapter 16 and 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sacrifice means putting Jesus first. Um, we, I don't think that we can emphasize it enough. I mean, this is like the fourth or fifth uh, passage that goes there, but um, it, it is that important. And once we do that, and once we have Jesus first, and we rely on God's Word, Self-control becomes a much easier task to handle. In 1 John 3, 16-18, we know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. It's Jesus that set the standard here. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. And really any sacrifice that we give up really isn't enough. It kind of pales in comparison. You know, Dave, I was just thinking that we, your example of, of Beth, and that, that's a hard thing to do. And I suspect in all of our lives we probably have family members, I do in my family, who are very strong in certain denominations and they don't have just a lot of time for uh, members of the church. And uh, all right, so you, you, you give those up, but, but the Lord said he gave us a promise. But in this life you'll have, what did we gain? Think about it in your own life. What did we gain? What does Beth gain? Hundreds and hundreds of brothers and sisters. Yes. Uh, spiritually, and, and a lot of times, most times, those will stick with you when you're regular. Blood doesn't. And um, so, sure, true, we have to give these things up. And I, I have to, but not not the extent that, that Beth has had to, but that close. But 
you, you give them up, but boy, the Lord blessed all of us with brothers and sisters a whole lot more than I've given up. I agree. And you know, when you make that sacrifice, if you stay in it long enough and you're faithful long enough, that comes back to show fruit. In other words, you, if your family has an issue with you leaving the denomination you were brought up in and being baptized in the church, the longer you stay with it, they see value in your life. They see the decisions you make. Um, they see how stable you are as a person. And typically they're impressed with that. Typically you become the person that's the go-to person. You become the person that um, is reliable. Um, not all the time. It doesn't always work out that way. Uh, it did in our family. And uh, I think there's a benefit to us living the life of Christianity for others to see. It's, it's letting our light shine to the world. And, and that's letting your light shine. Sometimes your world might be a real narrow place, narrow focus. Sometimes your world might be quite large, depending on how how visible you are as a person, how much influence you have in life. And you know, when times get rough, um, I remember I was working in Indiana, and we lived up there at the time near Chicago, and at work, you know, you're kind of, oh yeah, you're the guy that doesn't drink, you're the guy that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't uh, use foul language and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that, that's right, that's me. And uh, so you take some heat for that. But one Sunday the phone rang and uh, a friend of mine who was would join in with the prodding called me and was having trouble with his marriage and, and I guess who he wanted to talk to? Not his drinking buddies. He wanted to talk to somebody that had, uh, had some, some foundation, at least from his perspective, that uh, could actually help him with some Bible answers versus... Uh, so it's all fun and games until it ain't fun and games anymore. And then they want to talk to somebody who they've been watching. Maybe prod and make a little fun of. That's all right. We're big boys in there. We can. Uh, but that's who they want to talk to when they need some advice. I don't know. Have you guys seen that? I, maybe, maybe you have. I suspect you have. Um, but, but we're going to take some arrows. We will. It wasn't comfortable hanging on a cross either. No. We can handle it. <clears throat> if you don't have those occasions where you're taking those arrows every once in a while, maybe you should reevaluate how you're living your life in service to God. That's a good point. Maybe it's not enough. Um, let's move on. Self-sacrifice is a literal laying down our lives. In Matthew 10, 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. That enduring to the end is kind of what we're talking about here. And this message here is, it's sobering. Um, it, it should make us all take a minute and think about this. Um, Jesus was real clear in his language that sometimes it's friends that turn against each other. Sometimes it's your own family that turn against each other. Um, but you have to be willing to do that or willing to endure that um, as a sacrifice for Christ. Has anybody else ever like, imagined a scenario 
where Al-Qaeda has taken over the world and, and we're set to say we believe in, in Allah or we believe in God. Yeah, I just I put I've that scenario that. in my head yeah. and, and play it out, you know. I've thought about that. Um, and why I've thought about that is if you consider some of the prisoners that are, you know, in that, um, in that culture, yeah. if they're asked that question, if I was asked that question, what answer would I give them? Right? Would I protect my own life temporarily and tell them what they wanted to hear? Or would I tell them what I should tell them, tell them the truth? And then be faced with the consequences. Yeah. And you know, David, that uh, it, I'm not, I don't worry too much about Al Qaeda, but I worry about the country I live in. Well, and I suspect we're not a long, long way from um, from that happening to us. I mean, you, you look at you this yeah. anti-religious society we live in, and all the all the hatred and that's spewed against uh, religious kinds of people wouldn't surprise me at all. Even in my lifetime, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me that we got to make some choices and some decisions, particularly as it, as it relates to, um, uh, you know, this uh, homosexuality and well, same-sex, all that That's an easy decision that we make. Yeah. That's, that's easy for us. Well. The world's not going to accept it. I don't. And, and you're right. Will it be easy, though, when, when the gun's held to us or when prison is offered to us? Or can we, uh, yeah. can we just sort of tiptoe around it so we no. don't have to go to prison. It, I, I see what you're saying. The elders have talked about that. I mean, um, I mean, we'll be the first ones going to jail. The preacher will be next. But let me guess who they're coming for next. They're coming yeah. for y'all. Yeah. I don't even think it needs to be as severe as prison or death. I think about, you know, some of the things even in... Um, what we're allowed to say in our jobs, or sure. even things like yeah, that. Yes. Oh, so I mean, exactly. it's it's there and it's, it's there. fearful. Yeah. Yeah. But, hey, I'll I'll speak honestly about that. You know, yeah. it's it. There are times when it's really difficult to be the one to say right. I don't think this is appropriate, and I'm not going to pretend that it is. You're right. And you could lose your job over that you can. going forward. Absolutely. I've heard our kids talk about that and the, the training that they have to go through mm -hmm. and. If you, uh, you have to be careful what you say. We have something at Toyota, and you know, again, I don't mean to talk ill of Toyota, but um, you know, they're very much involved in the in the pride movement. Yep. And, right. and I have people every year when the parade comes, they say to me, "You do so much volunteering, you do so much good. Why is it this the one thing that you don't get involved in?" They see that. And I tell people all the time, look. Uh, it's and, and I make it clear. I say, is it clear that I love them? Yes, I demonstrate love to them, but I'm not going to support something that fosters that what they're doing is okay. And does it mean that I I don't I'm not kind to them and I don't befriend them and I don't do what I can to treat them? Yeah. Of course I'm going to, but helping them understand that line there. There's so many that don't understand when I try to explain to them that I can be you know very loving to them, that I can do all of those things, but what that behavior is is wrong, and it's a choice, and I can't support that. And it's something, yeah, it's one of those things at work that I have to, you know, and so it's not prison or a gun to my head, but I know that it's one of those things that I'm looked at yep. when it comes to... Well, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, and as a leader, they're saying, yeah. well, as a leader, you should be... Exactly. And, and would they yeah. turn around and hand out pamphlets for a gospel meeting? Of course not. Of course not. No. Of course so. not. But, but they're not forcing but, your bills to do that either. They're not, right. you know, so I, I understand that, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things that but when they, they see the other that. behaviors, they're going, why is this the one thing that you... Yeah. You don't support, support. and I, I'm like, because uh -huh, I can't. I worked in the same company 40 plus years, and the corporate culture has definitely changed. Oh yeah. Um, it's it's not good to It's totally different than it was 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's more wow. accepting. Um, yeah, people that, and, and it's less accepting as also. Yes. Uh, things that we would have done 30 something years ago, we would not let happen now, or would would not let an employee uh, push. You know, but. But now we have a corporate set of agendas that we do think is important. You know, Dennis, I don't think that it uh, would be an easy decision if we're faced with imprisonment or with any no, kind of se be. severity. But and we the play that scenario out and we say, yes, I would. Uh, the reason I, I say that is because I, I, question, I question how strongly people really have God in their lives when, when they can't make simple decisions. Yeah. That's good. And I, I don't want to be overly difficult about this but come on if you if you struggle with getting yourselves to services or, or the frequency of that um, if you're faced with what do you stand up for really uh, when it comes to social issues how are you going to go are you going to be the people the one that people make fun of maybe 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 not I'm not saying that it, it one one relies on the other but I am saying that we take for granted small things in our spiritual lives we, we gloss over them like it's not that big of a deal, but it is that big of a deal. We wouldn't gloss over them raising our kids. Some parents would, maybe, but, but typically we wouldn't. We, we wouldn't just, well, you know what, that's not going to really be a big deal. Um, habits, cleaning your room, doing things around the house, something really small for small kids. What it does is it teaches them some responsibility, it teaches them order. It just, you know, and we look at that really small, but is it really small? But if they never learn it, no, it's they don't have it when they get on society and they can't put simple things together. And, you know, remember, too, when uh, during Jesus' time, it was a guild-driven, we call it, we would call it a union-driven society. And you had to be a member of a guild. We'd say you had to be a member of the yep. union in order to do business. And one of, the, one of the tests there toward the end of the first century was all you had to do was walk by, take a pinch of incense, and drop it and say, Caesar's God. And you're in, the, you're in the union. You're in the guild. You stay in the guild. That seems pretty small, you know, when you think about it. But if you said, I can't do that, then you had no means of providing for your family. You had no job. You had no... You had no trade union. Just by doing that little thing, what David said, and I think is a great point. You know, we, we think about, well, if Al-Qaeda puts us up against the wall, well, how about coming to church on Wednesday night? How about doing the, doing the small things, and then when it comes to the big things, you don't have to worry about that. You, you've prepped, you, you're, you've lived your whole life for the big things by doing the little things. It's kind of like what we're talking about in this, this next series of verses here. We won't read that, but what Paul's talking about is here's, he's leaving Ephesus for Jerusalem, and he states that, I know what's coming. I know the persecution that's coming. 
uh, whether it was revealed to him or whether he heard it some other way, but, but he knew what he was in store for. It didn't stop him. It didn't change his direction. It didn't change his attitude about it. And sometimes, even when we know what's coming our way, we have to do the right thing and do it. Uh, Aunt Esther, one of my favorite books, one of my favorite stories. Um, why is Esther a good example of laying her life down? Remember what she did? She went before the king. So she lived in a culture that um, the king was in charge. Um, she'd been taken as the king's wife. And um, it was Haman that had come up with a plot to kill all the Jews. Um, they heard about this, and Mordecai persuaded Esther to go before the king. And she knew that it meant being going before the king unannounced. And in that culture, the laws of that of that land, uh, that was a death sentence if you went before the king unannounced. And she really struggled with this. It wasn't easy. It wasn't like, okay, I'll do it. No, no big deal. Um, she really struggled with this. And uh, her example is really valuable for us as well. Sometimes she, we have to have she that. She crawfished a little bit, though, didn't she, David? First, she, she really did. Yeah. Which we can do. Yes. A little bit. But then she stepped up the place. It took a while it did. for her to get there. Mordecai really persuaded her. Um, but at the end, it's like anybody else you're persuaded to do the right thing. Um, the most important part of that decision is they made that decision to do it. And she did. It was difficult for her. In Matthew 26, 39, And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus Christ is the epitome of self-sacrifice and self-control. I mean, throughout his life he showed this, and toward his death, I think he showed this even, even more. More examples of literal laying down your life. Uh, Stephen. In Acts 7, 59 and 60, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was brought before the Jews on false accusations that he blasphemed against Moses, he blasphemed against God. Um, and did he? No. Uh, he was a strong advocate for Jesus. He knew uh, Jewish tradition, Jewish culture. He displayed that in the, his uh, answer back to the Jews. Um, and when they couldn't find anything, any fault in Stephen, they decided to make up some false accusations and stone him. Um, I'm not sure that we give Stephen enough credit for his life and for a sacrifice, um, because he stood strong in the first face of adversity, and we should be able to do the same thing. In Hebrews 11 and 36 and 38, this is kind of a general persecution. This is, and others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. 
They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. There's a lot of highlights to hear about sacrificing for Jesus. Um, some of these kind of touch on what we've been talking about. It's that sacrifice um, of being afflicted and sometimes ill-treated. Um, sometimes we might have to give our life, which I don't think they're going to face that in our society, but um, nonetheless, it's that level of commitment that we should try to have in our lives. So the other, other, component, the other component of helpful attitudes <clears throat> is self-denial. Self-denial is the willingness to, to deny, deny ourselves possession or status. It kind of goes along with what we've been talking about. Uh, in order to build in holiness and commitment to God, self-denial is commended by Jesus and seen throughout his life and underlying Christian fellowship in the church. Um, Daniel is really a good example in basically denying self and doing what is right. So what did Daniel do here? Um, he was commanded to eat the king's food, drink the king's wine, and did he? No, he didn't. And why didn't he? Uh, because this violated Jewish culture. It violated what he believed was God's teachings, and he said no to that. Um, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had chosen a, a few really choice men that they'd taken captive, and Daniel was one of those guys, and he was going to train them to be basically his, in his personal age or his personal court. It was a three-year process, and um, Daniel said no to this. So, of course, Daniel denied something that was being pressed upon him. It's kind of like our conversation has been going um, in class today. But also what I'd like to point out about Daniel is how did he deny this? How did he not do this? In other words, did he get a sign and get out in the street, was real loud and you know rambunctious and, and make a big deal about it? No. He was very mature about it. He, he went to the man in charge that was implementing this program for Nebuchadnezzar and he said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this for this reason. And if you let me not do this, I'll be able to show you that I'll be able to do all the things that kings need me to do by not eating his, his food. He had a personal dialogue with the man in charge. He did it in a mature way. He did it in a confident way. And he was granted, okay, you won't have to participate. And um, did he show value to the king and, and the king's house? Yes, he did. I mean, he came through on everything and ultimately God blessed Daniel for taking that, taking the high road, if you want to call it that. Uh, really a good example. What else? Um, in 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage against wage war against the soul. Um, 
I think we know what fleshly lusts are that wage war against uh, God. Um, but this aliens and strangers thing, do we know what that means? We are aliens and strangers. What does that mean? It means this world really is not our home. And we're comfortable living here. We're not comfortable living here. Not. If we were comfortable living here, would we really be living for God? Not really. I mean, we might like the comforts of life, but all of the way the, the philosophy, human philosophy is going, are we comfortable with that? I'm not. Um, and I'm not because of my belief in God and what he teaches in the Bible. Uh, if I didn't have that belief, it really wouldn't matter to me. But I think it points out that um, this life is a passing thing. This life really isn't our end home. And I think that's why it says here, uh, calls us aliens and strangers. Remember Dave with... Uh Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, which some, you know, some would say we probably live in that close to that today. But, and it said that uh, he still lived there, and it said it vexed his righteous soul to yep. live there. And doesn't it vex our, hopefully, our righteous souls to live here sometimes? Yes. And it does. You know, when you read things, you know, on publications about what's going on in the politics and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can get frustrated with it. I get frustrated with it. Yeah. Um, but you can still live here. You can still live here. And still function and do, do your yes. job. And you can be that light that we yeah. talked about before. Yeah. You know. Um, at Luke 21 and 34, Be on guard so your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness. Um, I like this. You know, sometimes we think the, the fun stuff in the world is fun stuff. Uh, but in this verse it's not. It's basically the worldly things will weight you down just like anything else. You might think that um, having a big party and getting drunk after work is the way to unwind, but really what this verse is telling you is like it's, it's not. It's going to give you as many issues. It's going to weigh you down just as strongly as anything else would in life. You got the same problem, plus you got a headache. Yeah, plus a headache. <laughs> That's what I've got. Thank you very much. Wednesday night, we'll kind of do another component of this helpful attitudes.